Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is that you are tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Mind and My Wellness podcast. I am so glad you're here. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest who is here to bring us all the facts about the one part of the body we probably aren't prioritizing as much as we should be, the brain. Dr. Julie Fratantoni is a senior manager of research product development at the University of Texas at Dallas Center for Brain Health. She leads the development of the Brain Health Project, a 10-year longitudinal research study seeking to define, measure, and improve brain health across the lifespan. She leverages science communication to make neuroscience approachable and behavioral science to create tools to help you become proactive about your brain health. She's also becoming one of my favorite Instagram follows for her easy-to-implement tips to prioritize brain health. In today's episode, Julie and I dive into why it's important to take brain health seriously, common day-to-day things we do that can negatively impact our brain health, how things like nutrition, movement, sleep, and self-talk can influence our brain, what brain breaks are, and why we need to be implementing them daily, simple tweaks we can make to our routine to support brain health, and much more. This episode is loaded with recommendations to take away and implement today to help keep your brain strong well into your later years. So make sure to share it with someone you love because this episode can impact everyone. All right, my friend, let's get to it. Welcome to the Mind and My Wellness podcast, your podcast for all things macros, movement, mindset, and everything in between. I'm your host, Danny Marenberg, an ex-yo-yo dieting cardio junkie turned sustainable nutrition coach who's helped over 1,000 women feel confident in their skin by learning how to eat for their goals without sacrificing a life well-lived. I created the Mind and My Wellness podcast to give you simple, effective, and manageable tips you can take away from each episode and implement in your daily life to look and feel like the best version of you. Each week, my guests and I teach you the secrets to mastering your health and owning your power. Nutrition, mindset, movement, and women's health are all topics you'll find here. Think of our time together as your productive little health break from the day. So grab your headphones, fill up your water, and let's dive into today's episode. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Of course. I was just telling you before we hopped on, but I have been doing a deep dive into your Instagram because you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to brain health. And there's so much information on your Instagram, which I appreciate because I love Instagram as a tool to, you know, continue to educate myself, but especially from somebody so knowledgeable as yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Well, first, thank you. That is a huge compliment. Nothing is better than knowing that, you know, you put effort into things and just, it's so exciting to know that it is meaningful or helpful in some way to even just one person. So thank you for saying that. Yes, my background is as, so my my PhD is in cognitive neuroscience. Before that, I trained actually clinically as a speech language pathologist. So I kind of took a side door into cognitive neuroscience. 
for those of you that aren't super familiar with speech pathology, it really is, a, it's so much brain and neuro, um, understanding language, brain injury, stroke rehab, all of that is brain. And so anyway, got really curious about that. I'll kind of fast forward to, to where I am now, which is really sitting at the intersection of scientific discovery and then translating that, whether that is into creating content for something like Instagram or actually producing training videos. We call these cognitive training that involves strategies for how to build brain healthy habits or just kind of, you know, use your brain more efficiently or product. So we have an app that we're working on launching this fall that has to do with a, a large research study that we're a part of. So really I've gotten into kind of not just breaking down science for people, but also how do you help people make behavior change? So infusing behavioral science into technology, user experience, what does that look like? How do you support you know, people that, that want to make healthier habit lifestyle changes? Because we know that brain health truly is a lifestyle. There is no just like one thing you can do. You never, same with you know nutrition and fitness and these other aspects of health. You never just kind of arrive, but it's a continual thing. So yeah, I really feel grateful to be in a role where I get to combine both research, but then also kind of this creative and communication aspects of getting to share what we're learning so that it can be impactful and people can benefit from it because we've just learned so much in the last several decades about the brain. And so it's a really exciting time. I can imagine. I mean, just from your content that you're putting out, some of what you put out, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. But I don't really think about it on a day-to-day basis in terms of that on that level. What, and again, this may seem like a silly question, but why is it that we should be really thinking about prioritizing our brain health? Yeah, it is crazy that our brain is involved in every single thing we do, and yet we rarely think about it. We really only pay attention if something goes wrong, if there's an injury, if you can't remember something, right? It's like we only worry about it instead of really being proactive. And we're pretty proactive about every other part of our body, right? Even it's like we spend more time on our teeth. Like every day we're brushing our teeth, proactively preventing cavities. And yet, yeah, what are we doing to proactively prevent decline in the brain? And so I think it's just something it's out of sight, out of mind. I think for a long time, people haven't had a good way to measure or track or manage it or know how they're doing other than kind of just subjectively how you feel. And we sort of just take it for granted that like, you know, it's just going to work for me. But I think what, you know, research has really shown is that the lifestyle that you live, like in your twenties, you're building your 80 year old brain, right? Everything you're doing is kind of accumulating because the brain is just constantly adapting and changing, but the foundation is so important. And I think a lot of people will say like, well, I'll just worry about that when I'm older. And really it's like aging starts in your twenties, <laughs> you know, aging starts when you're born, you're just constantly getting older your whole life. Um, I say that jokingly, but it's true, right? We're constantly aging. So thinking about it from that perspective, but also that we're living to be older than we ever have before. The human lifespan has doubled in the last century. And so, you know, we've had all these advancements in medicine for the body, but we've kind of haven't really focused on the brain. So our brain just isn't keeping up. And I don't think anyone wants to live to be a hundred if your brain stops working well when you're in your seventies, right? That's just yeah. <laughs> over a course of your life. So yeah, knowing that we are living longer, it's like, we really have to pay attention and, and kind of look at just the whole picture. Yeah. I want to dive into what exactly when it comes to, you mentioned, you know, nutrition and movement, what exactly in these certain areas can benefit the brain? So let's start with nutrition because that's a big topic on my podcast. 
what are some things that we can be doing or thinking about when it comes to our food and our nutrition habits that can impact our brain in a positive way? Yeah, man. So everyone wants to know, what do I eat for brain health? Like what is the diet? And there, there is no one single diet because everyone is so individual and different. And we know bio-individuality is a thing, but I will say there are some really good general rules of thumb that can apply to everyone, which is the more natural kind of <laughs> things that grow from the ground, things that you, you know, animal protein, things like that, that are the less processed, the less sugar, less artificial flavoring and colors. I mean, it's stuff that's pretty, seems pretty obvious, but it's so pervasive in our culture and our restaurants and our fast food that it is actually, you have to actively really go against the grain to really be conscious of that. So I think for anyone that, I don't know, you probably have extremely um, nutritious, conscious listeners, but for anyone that feels overwhelmed by that, or is just like, I don't know, maybe newly kind of in a health journey with food to just really understand that nutrition is not only is it a form of fuel and energy for your body, but it literally forms your body breaks it down. And that's what forms the amino acids or kind of these building blocks for your neurotransmitters. So neurotransmitters are these little, they're chemical messengers. So they convey messages from one cell to another. An example of those are things like dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine. And so if you are not giving your body the proper building blocks that it needs, then there are certain just functions and things that your brain isn't going to have the raw materials it needs to just even do some of those things. So we know like food and mood is a great connection. We know we talked about the gut brain connection. There's so much happening. Um, The body again is so intertwined with the brain that food is just an essential part of that. And so yeah, to be giving your brain what it needs and to think about balance and what's in season locally and having a colorful plate and, you know, all these things that you kind of hear, but really are, are good and true. I love that you brought up the gut mind connection because I think, I mean, gut health is such a popular topic. I talk about gut health a lot. I had a podcast episode on gut health and a lot of what you're saying in terms of processed foods and sugars and things like that, it's very clear how that's impacting the gut. And I think, again, such a popular topic right now, but to your point, that is also affecting brain health. And so it's just amazing how all of all of what we're doing in terms of, you know, thinking about nutrition from a gut health perspective, it sounds like it can also contribute to brain health, which is pretty cool. And I've never actually thought about it like that. So oh yeah. I'm learning something every day from you. <laughs> they did a really some really interesting studies in mice. And I know that humans are different than mice, but there is a lot that we can learn from animal models. And one, they looked at the microbiome in healthy mice compared to mice that kind of, I guess, would be the depression model. And when they took the gut bacteria from the depressed mice and put it in the healthy mice, they actually expressed depressed symptoms. And when they took the healthy bacteria and put it into the depressed mice, they actually saw improvements in some of those behaviors. So it's just kind of wild to think that, yeah, there is that direct connection through the vagus nerve and just the communication there um, of the gut kind of telling the brain what to produce. And that's not just with mood or like mental health. That's also with things like Parkinson's or movement disorders, kind of anyway, it's just a really wide ranging. So the more we learn about the gut is just like, it's fascinating. It really is. What about movement? How does movement impact our brain health? So yes, we know that research has shown that more sedentary lifestyles um, is just higher risk for things like cognitive decline. And so movement is absolutely essential. And it doesn't have to be like 
something really intense, like going to CrossFit every day, right? It's just going on a 15 minute walk, you know, taking the stairs instead, making sure you stand up and stretch every now and then, right? Not just spending hours on end at your desk without standing up. So yeah, just knowing that having kind of just a good balance, like we were made, we weren't made to be sedentary. So our bodies really thrive when we incorporate movement and there's no research that really puts a stake in the ground in terms of the type of movement. Cause that's the next natural follow-up question is just like, are there certain types of exercise that are best for brain health? And I would say, I'll just give you kind of my personal take on it. This is definitely not like, I don't know, established anywhere, I guess, but just kind of my, what I have read about and what I try to practice is just a good balance between strength training, the benefits of strength training. I always I don't know. I always was like, I don't want to build muscle. Like I'm not trying to like bulk. I don't want to get bulky. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And that is such a, such a myth actually, but truly the benefits of having more muscle has actually a cognitive benefit, which is kind of, kind of wild. It's not a connection a lot of people would make. Um, And so truly the stronger you are, the better position that you are in later in life. And this is kind of an interesting example, but like your balance and your leg strength, um, oftentimes they'll see, you know, like, I don't know if you've experienced this or know anyone who, when they were older, they fell and like broke a hip or something. And then it was just like very downhill from there. And so like truly your ability to like balance stability and all of that is really closely linked. There's just a high correlation with keeping cognitive function as we age. So definitely build muscle would be number one. And then two, really like obviously different forms of cardio are great, but it's like, do the thing that you enjoy. So if you're doing it as like, oh, because I have to, or this is good for me, it's like really, no, what's good for you is to enjoy your life. And so thinking about group fitness, thinking about taking a walk with a friend or, you know, pickleball is such a thing now, like doing these things that also actually double up with social connection. You can sort of get a a double whammy for your, for your time in terms of the brain benefit. So yeah, just thinking about if you love swimming or you love biking or whatever that is, you know, doing that and you're going to get even more of the benefit. I love that you said that too, because I think so often we overcomplicate it. And I talk a lot about strength training. Yes. Getting in your daily movement, but really finding something that you enjoy because the more that you are forcing yourself to do something, it's not always going to lead to a sustainable outcome because you're going to dread it. You're not going to want to show up. You're going to be inconsistent with it. So I think oftentimes something that my listeners might take away from this too, is that doing the things you love, you don't have to, you know, do X, Y, and Z to see results across the board. It sounds like, you know, I talk about it from a nutrition and body goal and health perspective, um, in terms of, you know, overall nutrition, but from a brain health perspective as well. So that's really great. I also, I'm a new fan of pickleball. I just started pickleball and I'm I am too <laughs> obsessed with it. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun. I can see why it's like America's fastest growing sport right now. Yeah. So you mentioned social connection. How is social connection also contributing to our brain health? I don't know if you've read much about blue zones, but there are these parts of the world, right? That just, yep. you know, people are known to live into their hundreds. And one of the biggest pieces of that lifestyle is that community aspect of having multiple generations living together. And so we also know from research that having strong social bonds is one of the most protective factors. And so, you know, I would say aim for quality over quantity, but yeah, having a few close friends that really know you and love you and you feel like you 
you know, you can be yourself around because that acts as also a form of mental health support, a form of stress relief. You have the encouragement from them. I mean, yeah, having people that you can count on if you need something uh, is a huge, huge piece. And we know that stress, chronic stress is one of kind of the biggest enemies of brain health. And so all the things you can add into your life, which exercise helps with, even diet can help with sleep, but definitely social connections are a big part of that. So just thinking about, you know, and it's hard when you get really busy or it feels like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to call that person or even text that person back or make time, um, you know, to get dinner. It's like, those are the first things to go. And yet those are some of the really most essential grounding and helpful things for the brain. We know that when we are isolated or we feel rejected, it's like you see higher instances of things like anxiety and depression or just other mental health issues. And when you think about how we were just originally designed, it was really for kind of tribal life, right? Being a part of the pack. And so um, that's why rejection hurts so bad, right? It like feels like your brain is like, this is not right. This is not good. So our bodies are really wired for that connection and quality connection. There's no replacement for that. Yeah, absolutely. This one's a big one. And I, I'm going to ask this one knowing that last night I did not get enough, but let's talk about sleep. <laughs> I'm normally pretty good about sleep and, and it's something that I really try to prioritize, but I know, especially with a lot of the women that I work with, it can oftentimes kind of fall to the wayside. We live very busy lives. And so sleep isn't always top priority, but I'm sure it has a huge impact on the brain as well. Yes. Sleep is probably, if I had to say like only do one thing for brain health, it would be focus on really prioritizing seven to nine hours of quality sleep. And there's so much that goes into that, right? What we do during the day affects how we sleep at night, how we sleep at night affects how we are able to perform during the day. Having a wind down routine in the evening is essential, but even your morning routine is going to affect kind of your evening. So like morning sun, for example, to help really regulate your circadian rhythm, to sync, it kind of signals sunlight, the angle that it is in the sky can signal to a part of your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And that is what tells your body to prepare for different functions, whether that's digesting food or being awake and alert or preparing for sleep and winding down. So anyway, so understanding just how much of everything we do affects our sleep and truly like the brain can repair itself so quickly, like just in one night of good sleep, right? Like you can wake up and it's like new every day. And when we skip out on that, or even just cutting it short by say, instead of eight hours, it's six, or instead of seven hours, it's five. There's a process in your brain. So most people are familiar with the lymphatic system and your body kind of drains things, takes out the trash your brain has what's called the glymphatic system and same thing takes out the trash. So your cerebrospinal fluid flushes out old toxins that build up during the day. And if you're not getting enough sleep, that that function only happens when you're asleep. So not to not to freak people out, but just know that that just builds up and they're truly, it's called, it's called sleep debt. There's no such thing as like, I'm going to pull an all nighter and then, or, you know, just dip really late and then it's fine. I'll sleep more this weekend or I'll sleep more the next night. There's evidence to show even in imaging studies that just one night of missed sleep, just how that actually affects the brain. So just for people to really take it seriously and understand that it is not something that, yeah, you can just make up more later. It really needs to be like, that is part of just maintaining a healthy brain is, is that sleep. And so many things to your point factor into that. And it can be really hard, but I think 
regarding that time as truly sacred. And, you know, with exceptions, obviously, like if you're traveling or if there's, you know, there's all, there's always going to be an occasion, I guess. So just really saying, understanding that this for me is a non-negotiable and my friends all know this. And so like when it's nine o'clock, I'm like, gotta go. <laughs> yep. Bye. Good night. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What do you feel like are some of the biggest challenges around practicing sleep? That's a great question. So I, I was actually going to ask about one. Well, I think in terms of the challenges with prioritizing sleep, a big one that I see with clients is, especially if you have a newborn, like that is very, very challenging because that is, you know, out of your control. You are getting up more frequently. I know that's a specific period of time in someone's life. But for instance, when it comes to high stress in a job and you think like, oh, I'm just going to work late and then I'll get up early to work. Or I know for me in particular, I work out very early in the morning. And so I prioritize going to bed very early, but there are those occasional nights where maybe I don't get the greatest sleep or I go to bed a little bit later and I'm still waking up early and maybe getting only six hours of sleep. When it comes to that debt that you're talking about, is there a way you can't really make up for it? It sounds like, but let's say, you know, I'm prioritizing sleep. I'm getting seven to nine hours of sleep four days out of the week, but the other days, maybe I'm lacking a little bit. That's an area that very clearly I should probably tighten up and focus on, especially because you're saying that that's one of the top things that you would focus on. But speaking a little bit more to that debt, if you are somebody who really struggles, let's say from a medical perspective, just getting enough sleep, they're really trying, but they're struggling. Is there any advice you can give to them, not necessarily on the medical side of like how to increase sleep, but once they can get into a rhythm of sleep, are they able to, over the course of time, kind of rebuild up that brain function from the previous lack of sleep? Yeah. I mean, for anyone listening that's freaked out and is like, oh no, I've done irreversible damage. I don't want you to walk away thinking that, you know, absolutely you can make a change in lifestyle. I will just say the consistency is more important than I guess quantity. So like, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to sleep. Like getting consistently seven hours every night is going to be better than like six hours every night. And then on the weekends I get 10. Right. And then also kind of in the example that you gave, this was a shift that I had because I, I used to be a a a. 6am yoga girl and (laughs) loved that. I mean, the mornings are so great. It is great to get up early, but now I feel like I have a better gauge of knowing, like, I'm going to let myself get that extra hour. And that is going to impact things, especially for something like exercise when you're further breaking down systems and that sleep is what's going to help you repair it. So knowing that if I'm getting up, you know, cutting sleep a little bit short because I'm working out, knowing that that's going to, I guess, just put the body at more of a, I don't want to use the word deficit, but like, you know, it's just breaking things down more. So the repair will be a little bit harder. But in terms of someone who, you know, I guess I first want to say also that there are so many different aspects to look at when it comes to sleep. And so definitely work with like a doctor or professional that can help with that, but kind of generally to know that, yes, if you are able to sort of establish that pattern again, that, yeah, you can get into a better groove and and not, not be worried that it's, it's forever changed. Yeah. So I've always been an early morning gal myself, but mainly from cortisol levels, some, from some testing that I had been doing to figure out hormone stuff going on. I've really pulled back on my morning workouts and prioritized sleep. 
And so now I'm like, okay, I'm glad that I'm doing that, not just for the hormone side of things, but also, you know, for brain health, which is, which is great. So I have been shifting more. And I think a lot of my listeners, and this is where I was previously, is I was trying to be as productive as possible and wake up early and get in my workouts, you know, before work. And now I am really focusing on, I think, you know what, I think I need to prioritize sleep tonight and and I'm not going to set my alarm tomorrow and wake up early and try to find a new routine that works more conducively. So thank you for sharing that. I hope you're loving today's episode. I wanted to quickly interrupt to share with you something that I only wish I knew years ago on my health journey that changed everything for me. I was the girl who had tried every diet under the sun, worked out seven days a week, yet was constantly left feeling disappointed that all my hard work and time wasn't paying off. Can you relate? If the answer is yes, then my free training, Three Steps to Transform Your Body with Macros, is just for you. In this training, I share the secrets to leveraging your metabolism to lose fat without restriction, eliminating the foods you love, or sacrificing a life well-lived. So if you're ready to say so long to yo-yo dieting and kick low-calorie diets to the curb, you're not going to want to miss this free training. Head on over to mindedmymacros.com forward slash free training to register today. Or you can head on over to my show notes to find the link. I hope to see you there. All right, now back to the episode. I saw that you also have an aura ring. I have an aura ring as well. So in terms of actual types of sleep, we have deep sleep, we have REM. Is there any science in terms of the different stages of sleep that, you know, we should really be prioritizing? Do you have any sort of opinion on that? Yeah. I mean, definitely deep sleep as well as REM sleep, I would say for different reasons. And we know that, you know, you get more deep sleep towards the first half of the night, you get more REM towards kind of the latter second half. And so, right, if you're going to bed later, then you're missing out on some deep sleep. If you're waking up earlier, like I was cutting into my REM a lot, I found. So that's, that is a shift that's been helpful to me, but really you need all of it. (laughs) And yeah, I don't know as in depth on the literature there, but I will say, yeah, I mean, the aura ring is super interesting. I love getting to understand more of that, but even if you don't have one still knowing that, and even, you know, there's also research around like getting eight hours of sleep, but say you go to bed at midnight and you wake up at eight o'clock versus going to bed at nine or 10 and getting up eight hours, like that shift actually makes a difference. Like there's a point, I think past 10 o'clock where cortisol levels start rising, right? Because like our bodies were made to be in sync with kind of the sun and the, the daylight pattern. And so, you know, not all sleep is created equal, that the timing of it really matters and staying consistent with that timing is also really important. That's a, a good point. I've seen quite a few pieces of new recent studies that are also coming out with being more in line with the circadian rhythm. I know Huberman talks about it a lot. So great. Last thing that I think a lot of us can probably attest to doing, whether or not we are actively aware of it or not, is self-talk and our mindset. And I'm sure there's got to be some sort of connection there as well. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about how the way we talk to ourselves and the way the things that we're thinking can contribute to our brain health as well? Absolutely. So our thoughts truly have the power to signal different neurotransmitters to, you know, produce more or less of and can really change our entire body state. So one of my favorite mindset shifts is from kind of a threat or a fear mindset into more of a challenge mindset, right? And so, and when we do that, you're actually able to change the levels of the neurotransmitter that's called norepinephrine. So norepinephrine, there's a sweet spot, right? And if you have too much of it, it's that really like anxiety, anxious feeling. Um, But kind of right in the middle is where you feel, you know, kind of a calm focus, but like you're alert, but you're like really dialed in. When you actually kind of reframe something from, you know, instead of being like, oh my gosh. And this is for situations that are not actually life-threatening, right? Like if you're actually experiencing a fear response, that's for a reason you should listen to your body. But if it's something that's non-life-threatening, like I'm giving a presentation or I have like an important meeting with my boss or, you know, things that are or like, I just have to have a hard conversation with a friend. Like those situations are ones where we feel like it's life-threatening, but it's not. And so that's a great time to think like, okay, instead of this fear or this threatening situation, this is actually a challenge and an opportunity. And, you know, some things you can kind of say to yourself are like, it's almost like, I always think about like, if I can feel my heart beating or something like before I'm about to give a talk and I sort of just tell myself like, oh, okay. Like this is my body preparing for action. Like it's helping me or like, I'm going to do it like in spite of my sweaty hands, like I can, you know, channel this energy or, you know, how can I yeah, use this energy to, to make, help me do my best. So to really just kind of notice your body signals and then, and not ignore them or try to change them, but just say like, yeah, this is, and the physiological response for fear is actually the same as excitement, right? Like your heart rate increases, your hands get a little sweaty, you know, your muscles kind of tense up, but the psychological experience of that can be very different. So, and we have control over that and can shift it. What's actually happening in the brain when we have those types of situations? And, you know, if let's say we choose to go the route where we're getting anxious and we're getting nervous, I think I've heard that over the course of time, your brain will start to adapt and that becomes its norm. Is that, is that somewhat true or what is actually happening? So yes. Well, for one, I would say In that fear state, you're activating your amygdala, right? Your stress response. So that's going off like that siren is going off. And then that's what's signaling your locus ceruleus to produce more norepinephrine. So that's like driving that kind of anxiety. But also in terms of a thought, like if you're having kind of a a repetitive thought, or we just have that thought every day or, you know, whatever, like over time that increases and strengthens the connections of those neurons. So then it just makes it faster for that thought to, to occur again and again. So to know that, yeah, it really does take a bit of work to rewire that, but it is absolutely possible. And then the more you think a different thought instead, the more easily it will be to think kind of that different thought. Mm, I can relate to this. I know a lot of my listeners can relate to this, especially when it comes to negative self-talk, the way we're looking at ourselves in the mirror and we would never talk to our best friend, our daughter, our mother anyone in that way, yet we still talk to ourselves like that. And an amazing point that you make in terms of how quickly it just becomes our thought when we think it and think it and think it, and then it just becomes somewhat habitual. And it does take a lot of work to work through that mindset. So yeah, I can imagine that it's just like 
strengthening, 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 and you have to undo all of that talk. Yeah. There's an analogy that I like or a visual of like, if you've gone hiking and it's like, you see the worn path, right? And that's kind of that default thought. And to carve a new path, like it's going to take work because you're having to kind of clear the brush and right establish that new pathway. But over time, if you continue using that new pathway, that one will be the clearer one and the other one will start to get a little more overgrown and be kind of less traveled, if you will. So I like that visual and thinking about how that shift can happen and and that it that it is work and to not let that discourage you, but to know that like you are able to establish a new thought pattern. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some non-negotiables in your day-to-day life that are like, this is what I do every day for my brain health? Well, sleep, you already know. (laughs) My morning routine is so essential to me. It includes components of exercise, morning sun, some form of prayer, journal, meditation, breathing. And it's not always right. Or like there's pick and choose. Like on my ideal days, I get to do everything. But on some days it's like, you got to you got to pick. And this is a routine that has evolved over time, but hydration is major. So I have like my Stanley with me everywhere. My big water bottle comes. I have mine too. (laughs) And yeah, hydrating. I mean, yeah, those are the, the big staples, like having good quality sleep. And then my morning routine to sort of set up the day that it gets to include those things is like, I'm not the same person if I don't get to do those. I so agree with that. My morning routine has become And even my evening routine, but more so my morning routine. And I remember previously I worked in corporate. I was a director level, had a big team. I was waking up, going to the gym, coming home, shower, eat really quickly as I'm rushing out the door. I didn't have a morning routine. And that was something that I always said that, you know what? I really want a morning routine. So I'm not just starting my day on like high alert in this distressed state and it's enjoyable. And I think, you know, oftentimes, especially I have a morning routine now that I love. It sounds like you have a morning routine that you love. I'm sure someone listening might be like, oh, I want that. But, you know, that just seems so far off. I just want to also reiterate that it's not a zero to 100. It's also not, I always like to say, like, don't compare your chapter one to someone else's chapter 11 because. It's just about taking little small steps. So I love that you mentioned even now, there are some days where it's not going to be perfect and you're not going to have your entire routine as you'd normally like it. You have to pick and choose. So for anybody listening that is in that boat where they're like, I would love to do X, Y, and Z, but I just don't have time. Just choose one thing. Choose one thing that you're enjoying and incorporate that into your morning routine. Yeah. Like if you have, hopefully everyone has five minutes. I understand maybe some circumstances you may not have five minutes, but the very minimum of self-care you can do, if you can take five minutes and it's five minutes of breathing, five minutes of a walk outside, five minutes of morning sun, five minutes of journaling or gratitude, five minutes, you know, five minutes of affirmations or like five minutes can actually go a very long way. And so to just think like, doesn't have to be this elaborate thing, but like, I'm going to start by taking five minutes for myself tomorrow morning and choose what that is and just get consistent at that. I love that because ugh, I love my mom, but I'm going to call her out a little bit right now because she will say, oh, I don't have time to, you know, let's say make a healthy meal. She'll grab something quick or I don't have time to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, how much time are you spending scrolling on your phone during the day? I'm sure you can carve out five minutes from the time that you are spending scrolling on your phone to do something 
whether that's set up your morning routine, make that lunch or that dinner. So that actually kind of segues me into my next question for you is how are our phones playing a role in our brain health? Phones play a role. There's many aspects, I guess, is what I was thinking (laughs) is that there's the aspect of, you know, the technology itself, you know, EMFs, um, you know, this kind of a component of it that we maybe don't even feel or don't realize that it's affecting us on a health level. There's also the component of distraction and kind of building just constantly distracted, constantly on the phone. There's a lot of talk of just sort of like continual small dopamine hits that demotivate us. And so, and just kind of being addicted or yeah, that that eats into time that we could otherwise be doing things that perhaps are more beneficial or that we, that we actually would rather do, but we just kind of get sucked in. So, but I will say I'm pro technology. I'm not, I'm not anti because technology is just a tool. And so it's all in how you use it. And so it's really just setting yourself up for success so that, you know, you are really in control of it and it's not controlling you in terms of your time, your attention. I mean, truly your time and attention are things that are irreplaceable and and you can't get more of. So to be really intentional. And unfortunately we are pretty susceptible to a lot of the way that our cell phones or social media and things are designed to really just suck us in. So I think for this one, it's like, it's like, yes, it's, it's good in moderation. And that's kind of a lot of things in moderation, I would say, but yeah, technology is definitely, definitely changing the landscape in terms of attention, but it also is allowing us to connect with people around the world or to be, you know, so it's this dichotomy that we have to hold. Yeah. Setting healthy boundaries around how we're using it, how often we're using it. Yeah. Great. What are some other things that we commonly do or that you see that are negatively impacting brain health? Well, you mentioned one, which was just being on the go constantly, or just this idea of like a lot of high performers will see this, right? And and I'm even, you know, not perfect at this either. It's, it's definitely a daily thing to say that I'm going to take brain breaks or take short little breaks or not schedule yourself back to back to back. Cause I'm definitely with you and like, I want to optimize performance and be as productive as possible. And now I'm kind of more in a phase where I'm like, I want to enjoy the things I'm doing, <laughs> you know, because in the end, like that's really what matters more and enjoy the process and enjoy things and not be so hurried between events that I can't enjoy them or be so, you know, worried about being ready for the next thing or not having time to digest what just happened. So I would say that that kind of rushed hurriedness is something that is kind of praised in our culture, hustle culture. You know, people are like, yes, get it, grind. And that is just not sustainable. So I think for people to, yeah, to take a step back. And again, it's all about that balance of we still want to be challenged and be doing things, but to not let that be too far on either end of the pendulum. Yeah. I've noticed that you talk about brain breaks. What do you constitute a brain break as? Good question. So brain breaks are stepping away from people and technology. So it's kind of no inputs coming in. And a brain break can be as simple as turning away from your computer screen. It can be stand up and stretch. You can walk down the hall, get a glass of water, look out the window, pet your dog, you know, whatever. It can be as long as you're not actively thinking through things. Some people would maybe say like folding laundry is kind of a brain break, like something sort of mindless, like empty the dishwasher, I don't know, but giving your, your mind a chance to wander. And so there's two two benefits to brain breaks. One is that it's going to decrease stress, which we know is again, an enemy of brain health. And two, it's going to help with ideas, with creativity and innovation. When you 
stop actively trying to solve the problem um, and allow your mind to wander, it actually puts the pieces of information together in new ways, in a way that you can't when you're trying to force the solution to happen. By giving yourself, you know, daydreaming, mind wandering, those things are really healthy and good for coming up with new ideas and solutions. So definitely want to make sure that, yeah, the brain break is now I'll say a few things that brain breaks are not, which is brain breaks are not scrolling on social, checking email, listening to a podcast, chatting with the person in the office next to you, worrying or planning or thinking about what's happening later. Those are, those are not brain breaks. I needed that. This is a challenge for me because I am not taking brain breaks. I think I'm taking brain breaks. I am not taking brain breaks. I am going for my walk, but I'm listening to a podcast. And actually, I love that you bring this up too, because it's something that I've noticed more recently where I'm feeling exhausted or burnt out. And I'm like, why am I feeling so burnt out? Like I'm carving out time for my walks. I'm getting my sleep, but I am trying to be as productive as possible during every single waking hour. and it is still productive to rest and to not be, you know, trying to multitask and those types of things. So you are opening up a challenge for me to create more brain breaks. And I'm sure that somebody else listening to this is also going to be like, okay, this is my excuse to, to really prioritize these brain breaks. So thanks for breaking that down because I think it's really important to know that let's say you are going on a walk and you're listening to a podcast. Oftentimes you're still learning something. So your brain is still firing off and you're not actually disconnecting. Yeah. And it can really be just say just the first five minutes of your walk, you have the podcast off and then start it. Right. Or maybe at the end when the podcast is over, the last five minutes you save for a break. Brain breaks are great kind of as end caps, like in between things, between work and home, between meetings, between shifting tasks to kind of help your brain just recap. This will help with memory too, because you're allowing it time to kind of consolidate what just happened and then also prepare for what's about to happen. So yeah, these can be quick if you don't have a full five minutes, even two minutes, right? Giving yourself that time. But yeah, that's great. I love that you mentioned that because our mental energy, you know, drains consistently throughout the day, just like your phone battery. And so pausing to give it little short bursts will help you not just hit a wall at the end of the day. Yeah, another one too, the scrolling. Oftentimes, you know, you'll be working and you're like, okay, I'm going to take a break. And you go to your phone, and you start scrolling. So I'm glad you called that one out too. In terms of these brain breaks, is there like an optimal amount of time each day you should be spending on brain breaks or anything along those lines? So at the Center for Brain Health, what we recommend is we say take five, we call it five by five. So take five minute breaks five times a day. So you can space those out however you want, but I think if you kind of look at your schedule, you can sort of see where they naturally fall or you can feel it like, okay, I really do need a little break right now. And it's really just about resisting the temptation to grab your phone in those instances. The other thing people ask about is music. And I would say, you know, if it's more of like ambient sounds or like not a lot of not lyrics, but the idea that, like you said, when you're listening to a podcast, your brain is having to is processing that information, even if you're not really paying attention to it, it's still effort for your brain. So it's not truly giving it that full break. Yeah, that makes total sense. Oh, well, thank you. Anything else in terms of things that you commonly see people doing that are negatively affecting brain health? I think we touched on, I mean, the skipping sleep, the not taking breaks, multitasking is another big one that I talk about a lot, but that ties in with the distractions and the phones. And so really just 
clearing time. And it doesn't, it's not going to be for every task you're doing all day long that you're going to be laser focused, but for just those tasks that really require deeper level thinking to really give yourself that space to think deeply. I think some research has shown when you're interrupted, it takes about 25 minutes for you to get back into that place of deep thought where you were. So in terms of wanting to be productive, knowing that, you know, that's really prioritizing that focus is important and multitasking increases a number of errors. It increases your stress. It really decreases productivity because you have to go back and fix the things that you missed. So if you think that it's making you more productive, the research would suggest otherwise. And so to know that that's a really big one that I see, especially in, in corporate. That makes a ton of sense too. And something that I need to work on. This episode has been so helpful for me and myself because I think especially as a hyperproductive person, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but there are definitely takeaways that we can implement into our life to incorporate more balance, I think is a big theme, it sounds like. And consistency and balance are themes that I'm seeing across the board. And I heard you bring up both of those themes today too, which is awesome. As we wrap things up, I always like to leave my listeners with couple action items that they can take away today to start helping with for this episode, their brain health. So we already talked about sleep. That's number one. What are two other top of the priority list items that you would recommend that we focus on today? I think I would challenge everyone to take take a couple five-minute brain breaks throughout their day. And on in keeping with the five minute theme to do to choose something in your morning to establish a morning routine of even just five minutes and choosing whether that be morning sun, some form of, you know, breath work, um, you know, choose whatever it is, but giving yourself that time to really set your brain up for the day. And rather instead of grabbing your phone first thing and scrolling first thing in the morning to kind of swap that with whatever the five minute thing of your choice would be. Love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Julie, for joining us today on the show. Where can my listeners find you? My Instagram is at Dr. Julie Fratantoni. I also have a website, www.drjuliefratantoni.com. Would love to connect with people there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of your wealth of knowledge. I know I'm taking a ton away from this episode and I'm going to be implementing my brain breaks. I'm going to be really prioritizing my sleep. And I now know that scrolling and podcasts are not included in my brain breaks. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I love hearing from you. So shoot me a DM over on Instagram at mind and my macros to keep the combo going. If you've learned anything from this episode or any of my past episodes, I'd really love it if you took a few seconds to leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I love hearing what you've learned or what you've taken away from any of these episodes. It means so much to me when you do that. And if you have any friends you know that need a little help kicking some old dieting mentalities to the curb and want some simple, effective, and sustainable tips to feel their best share a link to this episode with them. Thanks so much for listening and I'll catch you next time.